Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Dan at Vertex School, and today I have with me Andrew Tan. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so I've been in the animation industry for about 10 years now, and I actually started out doing VFX animation in Rhythm and Hughes in Malaysia <laughs> for about, about four years, two years. Yeah. And after that, I moved on into doing animated series for about four years, I think. And after that, I, I, I got into games. And my first uh, game animation was uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Mm -hmm. And then my recent game was uh, Ghost of Tsushima. This yeah. came out yeah, last month, two months ago. Yeah, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm actually uh, I'm super excited about that title. It looks really, really cool. Unfortunately, I no longer have a, uh, a PlayStation, but that game looks Gorgeous, and I've heard so many amazing things about the sword play. Uh, looks absolutely yeah, awesome. Combat, combat is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the guy who who did the uh, most of the combat animation, his name is uh, Su Yun, and he's 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 a beast of an animator. He he he's so good at it. Yeah, I, I love working with people like that. That you just feel inspired to be near them every day, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you told me a little bit about. Um, your industry experience and then and, and where it had started. But um, before then, did you find that when you were younger that you knew you wanted to work in film or games, or is that something that came later on in life? Oh, no, uh, that came later in life for sure. Because mm -hmm. um, when I was little, I always thought, you know, I'll be doing just a normal job, you know, just a, a desk work uh, at office, a cubicle. And then you just get married, and you know the end. <laughs> but yeah. um, over time, I realized that um, I like drawing a lot. I like art. I was really into anime, so like Dragon Ball Z was my was my thing. Yeah. If I look back in my life, like what got me into animation, I would say Dragon Ball Z, because like one thing lead to another. It got me like Dragon Ball Z got me to drawing. Drawing mm -hmm. got me into art school. Art school got me to animation, and then here I am. Very so cool. it's like one thing led to another. But um. Yeah. When yeah, when I was a teenager, I didn't think I'll be in animation industry at all. Like mm -hmm. even 3D animation didn't interest me because I was like a big uh, anime fan, mm -hmm. and that was that was, my, that was my kind of dream to make my own anime. Yeah. But then uh, my my drawings are not that good, so mm -hmm. and I didn't really have the motivation to keep practicing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I tried out Maya anime, and it just kind of clicked with me. It, yeah. I had a lot of fun just moving the characters. I, I, I mean, of course, we started out animating like very simple things like bouncing balls, mm -hmm. a flower sack. But just using that, I could kind of uh, express my, my art. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a really, I'm not a great 2D artist. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much stick figure kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. for me, I feel that same thing. Like I have this this artistic creative nature that I need to try and get out. Like I also do a little bit of photography, but as soon as I started getting into that 3d world, it felt so much more manageable and so much more achievable for me. As soon as I started playing around with 3d art, it, that's when 
that's when for me things started to snowball really quickly into uh, working in games and that that for me was uh, that was my turning point because it's the same thing uh, when I was younger I used to do some some drawing it wasn't great or anything but it, I was just I used to love trying to get that creative sense out and I never thought oh hey I can make video games uh, and then later later on in life for me as well my mid uh, early mid-20s is when I really f first was like okay this is something that I think I can do and I started to go after it and then after 12 years of making video games and whatnot now I've decided um, I actually want to start teaching it so it's it's interesting to hear where people start and everything um, so uh, given your your direction and and and, and where you went through the progression of your your career to where you are currently now uh where did you initially start and how did you initially think that that was the direction you wanted to go like with visual effects you had mentioned earlier what made you mm -hmm. go that direction which then later led you into animation oh you mean like what led me from doing vfx animation to doing uh Character. games animation mm -hmm. but yeah um yeah when i was in the vfx industry i was doing more like realistic realistic animation. Mm -hmm. So I worked on like Snow White and the Huntsman mm -hmm. and Seventh Sun. And it was all realistic animation. And Snow White and the Huntsman, I did like some animals in the backgrounds, mm -hmm. like butterflies, birds, foxes, rabbits. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really enjoy doing realistic animation that much. I learned a lot. Uh, the people I met, the animators, uh, mentors that I met, they're all really great people. And I someday I want to meet them again one day. Um, but I felt like realistic animation wasn't, wasn't my thing, you know, it wasn't a way of my, it wasn't a way for me to express myself right. and I was a snappy animation. And, uh, so I went into doing animated TV series. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was still in Malaysia at that time. Um, because in Malaysia, the game industry isn't as big as right. it is here. So a lot of the jobs that goes there is like animated TV shows. Mm -hmm. from like uh, from I did some like Angry Birds TV series and Lego Star Wars stuff um so we did a lot of things like that but right now the the games animation is starting to grow in in that country um yeah but uh, after doing uh, that sometime I wanted to try something different to do games animation because mm -hmm. um ever since I was a kid I was just I was really into uh, games video games uh, that's all I think about is just video games as a kid. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty unhealthy. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, and I still play games to this day and I still love it. And I thought like, you know, I should just animate something that I really like, that I like to do on my free time, which is video games. Make, mm -hmm. Makes sense. So I could kind of like find my uh, love in animation again. Yeah. And so I started to pursue in doing games animation. I started studying on YouTube, like how game animation works mm -hmm. and how everything's like, instead of 24, 25 frames per second, 30 frames per second. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, and a lot of practicing as well. And yeah. finally, finally got, got my break in already yeah. in the world of the West. Yeah, and I mean, now you're a, a studio that I, I adore the games that Sucker Punch makes. Like they have some really, really cool stuff. I'm sad that it, I'm not getting my hands on Ghost right now, but um, the other games that they have made are really, really cool. And the style behind uh, some of their games is just gorgeous and just 
really, really cool stuff. The visual effects are always really uh, over the top and amazing. And the animations are, are uh, uh, complement those so very well. And especially in the newest one where animation drives pretty much most of that, your guys' newest game with, a, with that just amazing sword play. Um, so uh, I imagine um, going to something like that and having those really cool moves that he does, it, it was uh, quite a challenge and, and an amazing thing to work on. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, you had said that one particular person had done a lot of the uh, player animation, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, with, with the rest of the team, uh, and, and him included, where did you guys find the inspiration for the sword play? Did you go outside a studio for that, or uh, did you have a in-house, uh, someone that's really good with swords in-house, or how did you guys go about obtaining the the style and those sorts of things? Mm, I, I came into production like towards the last year, mm -hmm. uh, last year of production until release. So when I got in, a lot of things were already set in place. Right. But it seems like uh, they always wanted something more grounded, a more grounded uh, sword play. And they, in the past, they did flew over this guy in Japan. He's an expert in Iaido, a Japanese uh, katana samurai style. And they flew him over to uh, Sucker Punch and just uh, show them how you use sword and what different ways you could cut and, and stow and unsheath your sword. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's one of the ways they, they kept things grounded and real. And when I was, even when I came in, like, uh, uh, towards the last year of production, they, was, they still kept updating their animation, you know, to do, when they keep touching with this guy in Japan and see what he does and say, like, oh, he did this thing, uh, this way of uh, stowing the sword, we should put that in the game. And we always, like, do things like that. And we want to keep things very authentic, like people, the way they bow, the way they, they talk the way they uh, do certain gestures. It's mm -hmm. has to be has to feel very Japanese because uh, Japanese have a way of acting, um, using their bodies, and yeah. we always try to make it uh, look like that. Mm -hmm. But I think at at certain point, uh, you do have to gamify the animations a little bit. Right. Like um, there's certain animations which doesn't look like it doesn't make sense in real life, like mm -hmm. like characters dashing in place. Right. Within a few frames, it's it's very anime-ish, but it works really well in 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 game. And right. but uh, other than that little bit of like a uh, unrealistic animation, everything else is very uh, grounded. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's absolutely gorgeous, and the, the the rendering and the lighting in that game is absolutely gorgeous too, which only plays more onto the swordplay itself. Just getting those dynamic lights in different directions really plays well with the characters in that game. Um, so when you guys had that uh, flown, that uh, um, the swords, uh, swordsman out and, mm -hmm. and learned uh, those techniques, and you said this happened before you were there, is that something mm -hmm. where a lot of that was recorded? So given that you showed up uh, later in production, was that like a library of things that you were capable of going and, and grabbing and, and, and looking at? Of hmm, I'm not entirely sure actually. Okay. Yeah, but it's, it seems like uh yeah they did capture, yeah actually I'm not too sure, but uh they did, uh re recorded uh the the guy uh, the swordsman uh, performing certain things and we tried to replicate it, um in in Sucker Punch the gameplay animes actually wear the suit the the mocap suit, okay. and we actually performed 
the actions with the, the bowing, the, the cutting mm-hmm. and everything. But uh, yeah, we, we, we tried our best to make it as, 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 as accurate as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really great. I, I, I have only had the chance to do mocap recording with me in a suit once, and that was somewhere around 12 years ago. So it's been, an, it's been a while for me since I've gotten into a mocap suit. Um, I'm sure that's exciting to do. Um, so with, uh, so it, it sounds like you guys use a, a good amount of mocap. Is, is that something you guys have on site or is that something you had to travel to go to a mocap uh, studio or are you guys using non-camera based and more sensor based uh, mocap? Uh, yeah, we have a mocap studio and in our, in our studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the more higher quality uh, cutscenes, they they do it in LA, which is the the big mocap studio. Um, okay. Which very good a very good um capture. Mm-hmm. But uh, for gameplay animation and certain like smaller scale cutscenes, we do it uh, in house. We have okay. a we have a room that that we can do our mocap on. It's not oh, very, very big, cool. but it's good enough. Is that more of a mocap sensor suit, or do you guys use uh, the lighting systems and all that kind of stuff, like the bigger, huge room ones are? Is that is it just a smaller scale of that, or is it more more sensor suit? Yeah, it's a smaller scale room with like a lot of cameras, mm-hmm. and we have to wear the suit and the little uh, balls on your suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. There's a lot of new technology coming out where there's like basically sensors inside of the suit that. Uh, you don't need to have all those cameras and all that kind of stuff. It's usually lower lower budget things, but it's something I've seen popping up um, and something I've actually looked at for myself because you can get a full suit and all that stuff for at, at home for um, I think it was like 2,500 uh, US dollars. So they're, oh, wow. they're, those technologies are starting to get to a point where a regular consumer could uh, own them, which I think is absolutely phenomenal, especially with the direction that uh, motion capturing and uh, uh, has come uh, in video games and how often they're used. It's great that users will be able to tangibly get their hands on it and, and, and be able to practice with it before even trying to apply for a job that may require a lot of mocap cleanup and other things along those lines. I think that's it's really cool the way that the industry's gone with that stuff. Nice. So uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out a good transition for this, but. Uh, <laughs> So obviously, obviously over the last, uh, while you guys were producing that game, you guys were observing lots of different swordplay, whether you're looking online for it or watching a recording of the gentleman that you guys had come in uh, Mm -hmm. or other things along those lines. But when it comes down to um, other types of observation, when you're getting ready to tackle a shot, maybe something for yourself personally, uh, what, what kinds of observation do you like to use and what kinds of reference do you like to use generally speaking oh you mean like uh what kind of reference i like to use to inspire my animations yeah so uh, i guess it was two different questions one is observation more or less um how do you hone your own observation skills like if you had to go and start animating uh a big muscle bound character so someone that's just covered in muscles like uh, WWF kind of guy, and you mm. needed to animate something like that. Uh, do you find yourself wanting to go out into public and like maybe being outside of like a, a gym and waiting for people to come out and just like observing them moving and walking and things along those lines? Do you find that you like to do video reference of yourself 
or do you like to ju uh, to go on like YouTube or otherwise and find references there? Uh, usually, I would go on YouTube to search up things. Mm -hmm. um, if uh, usually, usually I hmm, yeah, usually I go on YouTube to search up things like um, especially like big heavy characters, big heavy big heavy characters yeah. like carrying yeah. big weapon, a heavy weapon, things I cannot do. Uh, mm -hmm. That I go on YouTube to to watch uh, those things, um, yeah. but I, I don't just watch like uh, how they move, but um, how I could have that character in me. So like when I put on the suit, I could actually act like them. And right. sometimes I, I thought of like wearing like a a vest, like a heavy vest, a vest, mm -hmm. or like holding a heavy weapon, doing yeah. mocap. But uh, you get really tired <laughs> really easily carrying yeah. a weight like that. Yeah. So I I just thought of just act like tired, like if you're if you're trying to swing a sword, act you're, like you're it's really heavy and you're like really exhausted, mm -hmm. and slower as well. And that yeah. seems to be like the closest to being a more uh, more capping a heavy character. Yeah. It seems that. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. That, that that's that's uh I never really thought about the the mocap side of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Trying to decipher what you're seeing and then reiterating that in mocap uh, yourself. I, I like the idea of like putting on the vest with all the weight and that kind of stuff. That's neat. Uh, yeah. the, it, it's, it's, for me, I find it really interesting. And um, I guess I'll, I'll ask a, a, another question based around this. Um, when, let, let's say you don't have act, uh, I like to observe at all times. Like I, when I'm, at the mall or I'm just going to the movies or wherever else it is that I'm going. Like I usually watch people like I'm, it's kind of creepy to say, but I'm like a people watcher. Um, I'll see someone walking down the street and I'll notice something interesting about the way that they walk. Um, so if they have a limp, uh, I, I love to watch the way that they limp and try to figure out where's the pain coming from. Uh, mm. Are they limping because they have a bad hip? Do they have a fake leg? It, or they maybe just walking off an injury uh, to their foot. Um, could it even be their spine? Like some people actually produce limps from their spine. And I love trying to figure that stuff out because as gambling animators, your character might get hit on a different location of their body and they want you to have a different uh, reaction to that for each individual spot. So I love looking for those little things. And that's the way I love to observe is being out in the wild. And when I see something, try to look at it analyze it and figure out why it is the way that it is. Um, yeah. uh, for me, I, I absolutely adore doing that. And then, so when I do get an assignment like, oh, hey, make this person limping on their left leg, um, I can immediately say, okay, well, are they limping because they hurt their foot? Are they, are they limping because they hurt their thigh? Like, what am I limping for? And then from there, I can go back in my mind and think like, okay, a thigh injury, generally probably looks like this when someone's trying to walk with a thigh injury or an ankle injury or otherwise. Um, and then um, the way some people limp versus other people, some people automatically start walking on their toe when they have an injury on their leg, no matter where the injury is, like it's not on their heel. So why are they walking on their toe? But a lot of people do that for some reason. Um, so I like to try to incorporate a little bit of those things when I see them out in the wild. Um, uh, that's my that's my main passion for observation uh, beyond just references and uh, I don't know I find great joy in it <laughs> even though as creepy as it is to say like oh, I like to watch people. 
you know, I do that too, but I do that with animals like dogs and mm-hmm. cats and birds because they are so flexible and it, like especially birds, like, I don't understand how they put their wings in. Yeah. Like where does the, the elbow go? It's just like a big poof of like, of like meat. Of feather, you know? yeah. You can't see anything. Uh, same thing with cats, like when they sit on their, their elbows like this, mm-hmm. they look like a toast. They, they call yeah. it the toast sit yeah. or something. Your arms just disappear. So if you draw a silhouette, it's just a, a square. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I like yeah. to watch them. And sometimes I like, because I have a cat, uh, I had a cat. So when she sits like that, I would just try to touch and see like, where's your, where's your elbows or where's your ankles? Mm-hmm. Where's your shoulder? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's actually something personally that I could probably use to do a bit more of is watching more animal related stuff. And I, I live in an g- amazing location for watching animals. We have mountain lions uh, that uh, can come through my property and moose that come through the property. We have horses around here and cows and all that kind of stuff. And I have a, a cat, uh, an, an elderly uh, overweight cat, but it's interesting. Um, uh, it's funny that I have access to so many animals, but I don't find myself observing them in an animation related realm often. And I don't know why that is, but um, I think now that you've mentioned it and saying and saying that you love to watch animals, I think I'm going to try and uh, consciously pay attention to the way that they animate next time I start seeing some of them. Uh, for whatever reason, when it comes to animals, I only seem to go to like YouTube or if I know I have to do a lion or something, I try and find a, a local zoo that might have a lion or otherwise in it uh, that I can go observe for a while. But it's funny, I, I, I don't tend to naturally observe animals. So I appreciate that you said that because I'm going to try and consciously add animals to my watch list. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. So uh, thinking back to your education and the way that you learned animation and um, the, the different uh, duties and projects that you did yourself to try and learn how to do animation beyond your your typical like bouncing ball uh, that I think every animator needs to go through. Do, is there a particular uh, animation task that you would say that every student should go through? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the bouncing ball, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've done so many bouncing balls. I, it, it just it's it really, it's really tiring uh, mm-hmm. by now, but uh, it's it's really essential the bouncing ball. And the good thing about bouncing ball is you can get it done within a few hours, an hour right. or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can move on. Uh, you slowly move on to to more difficult things, but so don't jump from a bouncing ball to a, a two two biped fighting each other. That's way <laughs> right. too heavy. So yeah. go from like a bouncing ball and then like a ball with tail, and a mm-hmm. ball with like two legs, mm-hmm. and maybe. Yeah, boy, two legs, a flower sack, um, and slowly work your way up to like you get a whole body and doing mm-hmm. simple things like weight shifts or weightlifting or like a person stepping up on a box mm-hmm. or getting up, getting out from a chair and sitting down. Very simple things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's super boring, but uh, you have to go through this basic phase for a few months to really right. understand the uh, the the twelve principles. Mm-hmm. So when I was in art school, uh, we didn't really have a good animation teacher. Okay. Uh, they they taught us, they didn't really uh, teach us the twelve principles. They just teach us. Um, I think it's just but this particular lecture. He just told us to like look at animation and just copy it frame by frame, and you wow. just do that as often as uh, what as many times as you can. 
and eventually it just kind of clicks but it didn't really work for me like yeah um, this copying animation like rotoscoping almost a uh, frame yeah. by frame and it, it didn't work and so uh uh, I, don't, I didn't mean to cut you off there, and I'm sorry if I did, but that that is actually one of the main driving forces for me to actually become a teacher was, and I know there's some really great schools out there that do exactly what you, what you need, the 12 principles and things along those lines, but um, some experiences that I've had is, talking with like um, university students and college students is that when they come out, I'm looking at their demo reel, and then I ask them, like, oh, what was your education on the animation side of this? Because they had to do the modeling, the rigging, the lighting, the uh, exporting. They had to do all yeah. of it. So I had asked them, like, well, what did you learn as far as animation is concerned? And they're like, oh, they showed us the tools on how to rotate. They showed us the tools on how to, to translate and things along those lines. I was like, oh, did they talk about anatomy at all? No, 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 no anatomy. And like, okay, did they talk about like gravity influences and external forces versus internal forces? And no, okay, <laughs> and then I'd, get, I'd finally get to the question like, okay, like this is gonna sound rudimentary, but did they, did you learn anything about the 12 principles? And they're like, oh, well, what's the 12 principles? Oh. While, while oh, they're man. applying for jobs to become animators and they, and they don't know what the 12 principles are. So for me, like, and, and my bleeding heart for the students who just paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to a college and they're coming out not having uh, a great education for what they actually want to do, um, I, that's when I, that was one of my, my points where I was like, I really want to get into instruction because I, after uh, over a decade of, of making video games, I, I feel like I have something that could help them get into video games better than uh, a college who just says that they do animation but actually don't and I, yeah I, I appreciate you bringing that up because uh i'd like to hear about your struggles with that afterwards if you felt like it hadn't helped you what did you end up doing to try and help yourself after getting an education that you felt wasn't helping you toward animation yeah like towards the end of the last year of my college my animation was still not there it was it was pretty good just because everybody else is not that great so i was mm -hmm kind of like the the better ones mm -hmm. in the class not because i was good but just because like it, everybody else was a little bit behind and uh only after i graduated college i i was a an assistant teacher in my college mm -hmm. and some of my coworkers um were animation mentor uh, alumni mm -hmm. and i i talked to them and talked to them about an, the animation process and they introduced all these like very basic way of learning animations. So instead of like learning the whole 12 principles, you break into chunks, like four principles, and then you add on six principles, then eight principles. That's mm -hmm. where the ball, that's why you start with the bouncing ball. And then exactly. you add legs and you keep the camera in 2D. So you don't put it in 3D and mm -hmm. it gets very confusing. Just keep it in 2D, simple and clean. Uh, so you can focus on like good poses and the, you can track the arcs very easily. And you don't have to worry about like going Z axis and Y axis and all these different axes. It's just two axes. Right. Keep things going and clean. And yeah. uh, it's a lot easier to understand that way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was doing. I, I started from scratch. I started the, the bouncing ball and the ball with tail and just worked my way up. And um, things really clicked for me after that. Uh, things really sunk in the animation really. Uh, I totally understand it after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a tried and true method to understanding animation and how to convey 
uh, a lifeless object into something that has character and, and emotions and, and things along those lines. And there's a very, uh, a very well drawn out path for us because we had some of the greatest uh, people in the world, uh, or not in the world, in the animation industry uh, at Disney come out with some great books on posing and and how to learn animation and breaking it down for you and things along those lines. And uh, obviously you've got Richard Williams books, the animator survival kit, that's got a lot of really amazing information in there. So there's, it's funny uh, trying to walk the same path as some of these, uh, these absolute greats before that came before me um, and trying to figure out how to uh, walk along their path but being able to branch from it a little bit has been, has been a little bit of a challenge. But there is definitely an equation, basically, uh, a formula to becoming a great animator. And the bouncing ball is very much step one. Uh, in yeah. The um, yeah. So I appreciate you bringing that up and, and saying uh, that that's how you also went through and, and, and finally let it click. Because there's too many schools out there that don't go through all those processes, whether yeah. they're not whether the teachers themselves don't have the skill or the school does not supply them with the ability to um, go that deep into any one particular uh, uh, subject. Because uh, yeah. a lot of what I hear about like animation programs in colleges a lot of the time, unless they're an art college, um, a lot of the time it's, oh, this is an animation class, but then you're modeling, you're rigging, you're lighting and all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, that's not, that's a, that's a yeah. generalist class. That's not really an animation class. So yeah. that's what again. Uh, that's kind of what brought me here. Yeah. So even like, even like professional, oh, sorry, even in like professionals uh, these days, they still use the bouncing ball to create uh, as their base for animation. Like if they create, if they're animating a character that's doing something complicated, like a parkour animation, they'll actually always start with a bouncing ball, and they would use that as their a way to see things like as a weight and the arcs, mm -hmm. as how they, how things go in the scene. And I still use that in my personal animations as well. So, yeah, it, it, it's, good. it's amazing how much something as 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 a cylinder that can squash is mm. the is the basis behind so many different things. If you think about the hips, when it comes to yeah. a regular walk cycle, it looks just like a ball bouncing. And as mm -hmm. you said, parkour bounce off this wall, bounce off that wall. And if yep. you take it down further and further and further from, okay, the fingers touching the wall, get rid of fingers. Okay, hand touching wall, no, get rid of hand, get rid of arm, get rid of upper body. And when you break it and keep breaking the motion down, you eventually end up at a bouncing ball, like on almost every animation you could think of. And uh, I, I love that everything melts down to that point at some point. Um, yeah. And it's cool to yeah. hear that uh, a lot of professionals still use an actual bouncing ball to plan out their shots. It's it's not something I use in my own um, my own technique to animating, but it's really it's a cool idea to think about it in that way. And I appreciate you yeah. bringing that up as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so when when it comes, uh, let's say you just got done a school and you've created your your demo reel, and you've mm -hmm. already talked to people and you've already made sure you had a really great demo reel. Um, at that point, you go, okay, I am now ready to start sending out my demo reel uh, from your own personal experiences and, and, and your thoughts about it after being in the industry for a while now. Um, how do you suggest uh, a student what to do with their reel once they're done? And once, let's just say it is a perfect reel. They don't have to worry about fixing it or changing it or anything along those lines. And they know how to do cover letters and they know how to do resumes and things along those lines. But 
how from there do they decide what studios they want to apply to and what do you suggest as far as uh, a direction to try and start applying for studios? Uh, I, I think it uh, depends on what uh, what kind of animation the, the student wants to do. Like, do they want to do like a snappy style, cartoony kind of animation? Do they want to do dialogue animations? Do they want to do creature, realistic uh, VFX movie kind of animations? Mm -hmm. And try to build a reel around that. So if you want to do snappy animations, a demo reel should be just snappy animations. You know, it can be... Mm -hmm. A, a small, quick character, snappy animation, a big, heavy character, um, and have a variation of that same category, variations of snappy animations with different type of characters. And mm -hmm. same thing with realistic animation. So you want to have a realistic creature, like a creature, a biped creature maybe, and you have a quadruped, and maybe you can have some robots. Um, mm -hmm. But always um, create a view that's towards what you want to do. Instead of like a mix of everything, you have like a VFX, you have your acting, you have your a cartoony. It's mm -hmm. it's it's good for it's good for variation, but sometimes the recruiters want to see a you as a personality, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, you want to make yourself stand out as well. You don't want to just uh, look like everybody else. And yeah, because recruiters they go through like thousands of reels um, a month a day, and you need something that kind of like uh, captures uh, the attention, and uh, some things that I notice in like student demo reels is that they put too much attention on the things that don't really matter. So like music, or maybe they like to do like graphics uh, with their name, like a, like After Effects right. with their name, Sparkle, and their email address. You don't need to do all that. It's just right. a simple black screen, your name, your email. Um, what you're applying for, like an animator or anything, and keep it short enough, like a minute. Um, I, saw, I see people like have reels that are two minutes long or longer than that, and they have animations that I don't think is their strongest, and I don't really understand why they put it in there. And sometimes right. I find animation, their good stuff in the middle of the animation, and then in the middle, the first half, it's like not that great. So I, mm -hmm. I sometimes it's a bit confusing. Why, why didn't I just put that one in the first uh, part of the animation and mm -hmm. cut out about third, uh, three fourths of the animation, and you even you have like a thirty second animation of just your best ever. Uh, that's yeah. that's good enough usually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, what you're really getting at there is quality over quantity, and I yeah. know when students are starting off, they might not have an awful lot of either of those two subject, those two items. You know, not a whole lot of quality not a whole lot of uh, quantity. And at, at that time, it's really hard to try and figure out how you wanna put a reel together with with so little. And I think that's where they fall into that pitfall of, okay, well, I'm just gonna add everything and I'm gonna have yeah. a three minute long demo reel and, 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 uh, and I'm gonna leave it with a bang. So I'm gonna put some really great stuff at the end. And I can totally understand the mindset as to how that happens. Yeah. But the problem is, is if the first 30 seconds isn't great, they're, they've already turned it off and they've already moved on to the next person. Uh, yeah. So you want to make sure that you're, you're not just end loading your demo reel, but you're front loading it as well. And if you feel like this section's great, this section's great, but in here it's not great, find stuff to cut out or find things to replace it with. 
And if I, I'd much rather have a, a demo reel come across my plate that's literally, as you said, 30 seconds long, yeah. but filled with really amazing work than yeah. watching something that's two minutes long filled with only 30 seconds of really great work and the rest of it is uh, redundant or um, not great because that just looks bad on the student or on the, the person applying. So yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up as well. Um, mm -hmm. So when, let's say you, you are a new student and you really want to find a job right away uh, and you want to work on something um, that's got a lot of those snappy animations and things along those lines. But um, right now your demo reel doesn't have an awful lot of that in there. What do you suggest they do when they do want to apply to uh, a studio that has a lot of snappy uh, animation? Uh, like how would they build their animation view if they want to apply to a, a studio with snappy animation? So uh, yeah, essentially what I was gonna, what I was trying to ask was, um, would it be smarter for them, like if they really want to try to go get a job and they want to try to get a job as soon as possible, does it make mm -hmm. more sense for them to take the reel that they have already built, and mm -hmm. uh, if it didn't have snappy animation in it, try and apply for that job and then just uh, have them write a cover letter or otherwise saying like, I really love snappy animation. I haven't had an awful lot of experience with it right now, but that's something that I really want to get into. Or do you think uh, they do a little bit of that and say, oh, I really love snappy animation. I'd like to do some more snappy animation, um, but then maybe delay that application by a week or two so that they can create a new animation just for that studio. Wh which direction do you think is uh, is probably a better choice? Hmm. I've I've heard of like people who apply for a 3D animation job with a 2D animation reel and they got the 3D animation job. <laughs> They've never used Maya before. Right. And yeah, and he, he managed to use Maya uh, just fine. Mm -hmm. um, I think just because his 2D animation is probably really good, his principles are, are there. And um, if your style is different, like if your your style is like a realistic style and you're, you're applying for a snappy animation, mm -hmm. if, if you apply to a position with a snappy animation, uh, I think it depends on your animation if it shows a lot of principle. Like, does it? Yeah, does it show a lot of good principles? Mm -hmm. And I mean, does it demonstrate that you you understand it well? And sometimes it it does it does help uh, you get a job. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes I think maybe it depends on how desperate they are, they are in the studio. Like, right. they, they would just take you. Like, your animation looks good. I think you can keep you can catch up. You know, mm -hmm. but um, me personally, but I would like to make my own real uh, make my own animation for that style that snappy animation because you mm -hmm. kind of need to prove yourself you know to, to show that i can do it you know this is what i've done yeah, and absolutely. yeah so i that, that's my recommendation but uh, some i've seen people who did the other way but it, mm -hmm. yeah i guess it depends yeah. yeah okay great thank you um so uh I'm sure that you've seen a lot of demo reels uh, and you had mentioned a little bit like keep the important parts to the important parts and things along those lines and something that I've seen um, brought up a lot and something I'm going to mention and, and it's, it feels like something that you don't have to say but you have to say I guess is making mm -hmm. sure your demo reel is 100% your content and what's mm -hmm. not your content you give uh, credit where credit is due for that particular content so if there's 
if you put in your demo reel, uh, let's say it's a, a scene and there's a hundred characters on scene, one main character in the front, and then a whole bunch of people in the background, and you put that in your demo reel, what that tells me is, and without any explanation, shot uh, shot list or any other any otherwise, what I say see is they animated every single thing in this scene. But yeah. the truth of the matter is they might have animated one of those background characters, yeah. but the main highlight of the characters is the one like right in the front, mm. is making sure that you're giving credit where credit due. Uh, just because we were talking about demo reels and things along those lines, I wanted to to put that out there. But I wanted to know if um, if you've ever come across a demo reel and seen it and going, hey, that's not their work or anything along those lines, because uh, surprisingly, it still happens. And I didn't know if that's something you've ever had happen to you personally, where you've seen someone else's work and known it was someone else's work when you saw a demo reel. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen much animation that that copy um, other animation and claim it as their own. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, it, it hasn't, yeah. it doesn't happen very often. Um, yeah, so what was the question? <laughs> like, no, 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 it's okay. I just want to know if you had personally ever experienced oh. that in your own in your own job as seeing someone else's work, um, mm. either being fronted as someone else's or um, not fully described enough to know what the person's work was, which right. for me, I see that a lot. And, and funny enough, I see that more from professionals than I do from students where they share like an entire scene, but then they don't give a shot breakdown uh, let's just take like a a Marvel movie, for instance, and there's a huge fight scene and there's 20 mm -hmm. people fighting or even just two people fighting. Um, mm -hmm. Like who, knowing your shot and knowing who's in the shot and giving credit to where the credit is due, you could say like, oh, well, I worked on Spider-Man in this, in this scene. Because mm -hmm. if there's four characters and you only animated one of them to make sure mm -hmm. you're labeling out what you did in that scene, because it's, I've seen it plenty of times where I'm like, oh wow, you like you animated this and this happening and this interaction. And I'm like, oh no, well I did this over here. Well, <laughs> you gotta tell me that it's on your demo reel. Like you have to make right. sure you're telling me like this is the section I should be looking at for that particular shot. Um, right. I just I just wanted to bring that topic up because I didn't know if you had seen that before or um, uh, it, or um, just also to have to have the content so that people realize that they should be doing that. Like students sometimes will use things for their backgrounds uh, and mm. making sure that anything that you're using on the demo reel is something that you can give credit where credit is due without having to be asked about it because it might be assumed that you did that particular yeah. thing and weren't. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, I was, I was, I've seen it happen and I've actually seen someone bring in someone else's work. Um, and, and funny enough, it's it's one of those things that you still have to mention to people is like, Give credit where it's due, and don't uh, try and front someone else's work as your own. It's it's odd that that's even something that needs to be brought up. But I actually just saw it on Twitter today. Someone had posted about it because someone boasted their work as their own, and it actually mm -hmm. got published by uh, a company. Uh, and basically, you're like, oh hey, check out this guy's work. And with a hundred thousand people looking at it, they're all like, uh, that's not that guy's work. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's funny how it can still happen these days. And with an industry that is so small, what mm -hmm. that could do to your name in an instant in an interview, if you have a demo reel out, that's not all of your own personal work. But anyways, we'll go past that because it's it's not generally an issue. It's just an odd one that is still around. Um, yeah, just, just keep in mind, just don't, just don't copy. <laughs> don't don't yeah. use other people's work at all because this industry is so small. 
And mm -hmm. if you if you did something like that, people would know. Uh, the other animators would know for yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, beyond uh, the, the beyond that, beyond the, like the the names uh, being all pretty and and stealing other people's work. Is there anything else you would say that you've seen in demo reels that you think is a mistake to put in a demo reel or some, or do you have any ideas on maybe how to uh, strengthen a demo reel? Mm. Huh. I think have like um, animations that uh, if, if you're like a first, I mean, you've just graduated and your first demo reel, uh, have a reel that demonstrates your, your principles. Like this, mm -hmm. that that really, that's why all that matters at, when you first start out in the industry, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and don't don't worry about like having fancy models, like having a, a fancy building behind you or textures and lighting, uh, rendering. You don't really need all that. Sometimes it's just play blast, and a lot of the good animations that I see, it's it's like play blast, and you can even see the the resolution gate mm -hmm. <laughs> there. And it's all pixelated, but the animation is so good, it it just it catches my attention. And they only have like three different animations in there, and it's all play blast and all pixelated, and it it's it's one of the best things I've ever seen. So yeah. yeah, focus on what it is that you're trying to apply for. So don't don't think about modeling, sound effects, music. It's all my demo reels. I have no music. Like mm -hmm. for the past uh, five years, I put no music at all in my animation uh no fancy after effects moving around mm -hmm. um rendering just just keep it very simple just um because the amount of time you spend on making those things look fancy you could have worked on another animation or you could have make that animation look better make it more polished mm -hmm. uh, yeah so just um focus on what's important right what you're trying to do yeah i i appreciate you saying that because uh obviously you work in an amazing studio who makes absolutely gorgeous works. And uh, a lot of the times people will, like you're saying, waste time on things that aren't necessary. And hearing it straight from someone that's working at such a, a great studio saying, work on what's important for the job that you're looking for. If it's the right. animation, make sure the mm -hmm. animation looks good. If it's gonna be a play blast, try and play blast it as at, in a bigger resolution so that it it's not awfully pixelated. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, don't waste a week trying to get the perfect lighting and then another week trying to render it out properly and compositing it all together and everything else. The important part is the actual animation because that's what you're looking for. Like yeah. if you've got amazing lighting and a, a smoke effect going across the ground, animators just be like, well, now I can't really see the feet and what they're doing. You know, why'd you put all that fog in there? Like, uh, it, like, like you're saying, it's really important to try and uh, show what's, what is um, the most uh, prevalent to what you are applying for. Um, yeah. For me, I had a hard time with that. With uh, I was trying to, I was trying to actually do a lot of in-game uh, animation and recording pieces of a game to show. And what I was finding was everything else was clouding the information I really wanted to share. So with uh, this one particular scene, I had there was like a spider-style character walking down or climbing down a pole. And then it ends up on the ground and walking across that. And I really wanted to share that because it was really technical and kind of neat. It was a robotic spider. And I wanted to show that, but when I was trying to record it in game, 
the lighting was dark in there and it was odd looking. The, the visual effects in the room also made it a little bit difficult to capture the, the actual animation. Um, so what I ended up doing was showing mostly play blast of that entire scene. Like I had like a little glimpse of to what it looked like in game, but then after that, it was just all uh, a cylinder tube that the character was walking down and the ground was just a couple of uneven planes that I placed down to make it look like the, uh, the in-game models. But the main important part was the fact that it was a robotic character that I was animating. So my reel at that point turns to almost all play blasted material. And uh, I haven't had a whole lot of like rendered anything in any of my reels for a long time, but it's not needed. So it's pretty much just going off of what you said that, that that's, that's pretty perfect. Um, yeah. So uh, we're, we have a very little bit of time left. Um, I guess my next, I, I just want to ask, uh, one fun question or a, a series of fun questions or a couple of questions if you have time for it sure it's one um what is the most fun that you've had animating a character maybe not the character itself or what you're animating but what was the most fun you've had while animating a character if that makes sense yeah uh does it have to be like a wook wook animation? No, 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 no absolutely just a personal animation yeah wait um, I actually have most fun animating my own stuff, personal yeah. animations. Yeah, because um, the the things I do, it's it's pretty the, my own personal style of the things that I like. It's very different from what I do, um, especially with uh, Ghost of Tsushima. It's very realistic, but mine is like extremely snappy. Yeah. And I like to like like squash and stretch and smear my characters like crazy, because um, I I like to look at things in a two D lens. If I was a good if I was a good artist, I'll be a 2D animator for sure, because yeah. I like to squash and stretch and just tear my characters apart, because <laughs> yeah. it feels it feels so good. Um, th um, yeah, that that's what I really like to do. Um, as for but for character, it's it's hard to say because um, I recently used the Ang rig, Ang from Avatar. Yeah, that that rig was very good. Uh, I used some of the League of Legends, uh, rigs. Mm -hmm. Um, what else? Zelda, Zelda rigs. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to pick a favorite. I think as long as the character is not too heavy, like, mm -hmm. like I'm working in slow motion in, in Maya, um, as long as it's not slow, I, I enjoy animating it. Yeah. Uh, one of my older animations was, was using a student wig. Uh, they, they took one of the Dodog 2 characters. Mm -hmm. His name is Bloodseeker. Um, uh, that animation is the one that kind of like exploded on Twitter. And kind of mm -hmm. gave me like uh, a face uh, for on Twitter as an animator. Mm -hmm. um, that one I actually have the most fun. It's because of how simple the rig is. It's not the best. Like it doesn't have a bunch of controllers to control like the sword or the the cloth. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just on the character itself. So if you stretch the arm, it stretches the whole cloth of the shirt. Right. And I, I don't I don't mind doing that because what I'm because of what I'm going for, which is this. Smeary kind of uh, style, yeah. And yeah, I think that's that's what I have the most fun doing, uh, trying cool. different trying different things. Yeah, uh, yeah. I um I actually I'm thinking of uh, a post that you made. Um, I think it was probably over a month ago now, maybe even more than a month ago now. Is you had a uh, a sword character who was running around and, if I remember correctly, uh, attacking. Uh, some some zombies or yeah. or some characters along those lines and 
I remember looking at it and loving the style because it's very snappy. And as you're saying, it stretches a lot and things along yeah. those lines. Um, when you're looking for a model to to do your type of or a rig to do your type of uh, animation that you love to do, it's mm-hmm. really easy to find rigs that you can do realistic animation with because there's nothing awfully special that needs to happen with the rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're looking for a model or a, a rig to where you can do those big stretches and and ripping off of parts and uh, smears and all those kinds of things, uh, how do you go about finding a rig that's going to work? Is it just, hey, I like the look of this one, download it and see if it works for what you want? Or do you have a specific uh, uh, technical artist you like to try and follow and, and use some of their work? What What do you use for your own personal animations to find a rig that's capable of doing the stuff that um that you like to do um i have i've just one like pet peeve when it comes to rig rigs if it doesn't have ik spine or if the rig is too heavy that's that's a hot no for me um so if the character can stretch um the character can stretch and it's not too heavy i'm usually good with it and if even better if it's got face face uh, controls or you could control like the cloth and the sword, uh, like the ability to turn on the sword constraint to the hand instantly. Mm-hmm. So when you turn it on, it's, it pops the hand and you turn it off, it's, it just pops the world space. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love rigs like that. And if you can smear the swords, there's a controller on the swords. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you yeah. see, you're, you're, you're my hero. <laughs> and um, I rarely see rigs like that. So. Yeah, I, I found that the, the things that I really enjoy about rigs, it is hard to find a lot of that stuff. It's actually yeah. drawn me to the idea of learning how to do more of that technical art stuff just so mm. I could create rigs for myself and then maybe yeah. get some uh, ideas from other people. Um, and I, funny enough, I think that's how a lot of technical artists start is by like they're being animators and then being like, oh, I really want something that's going to do this, but I can't get anything that can do that. Oh. I'm just going to try doing it myself. And they, well, I, I know of a couple of tech artists that have gone that direction. Um, and then they ended up finding out that they really enjoyed the tech art of it. So then they kind of let the animation side drop. Um, right. And I could certainly see myself doing that is like, you know what? I'm just going to build my own rig and then really, really enjoying the, the tech art side of that as well. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are at just about an hour now. Um, so I was wondering if, if you had any other guidance or anything else you'd like to say to a prospective animator or a prospective student. Um, and if not, then I can ask you another fun question if you like or otherwise. Uh, yeah, you can ask me another fun question because okay. I, I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> yeah, so you had mentioned a bit about um, Dragon Ball Z and things along those lines from when you were younger. Um, and what you drew inspiration from, if you were right now to say, I'm going to go watch something because I, I just want to be inspired by animation. Mm-hmm. If you were going to go do that right now, would that still be Dragon Ball Z? Is that what you'll turn to? Or is there, is there now something that you, you would put on as you're like this, I, I'm going to go watch this because I, I need to feel inspired right now. Is there a particular uh, title or anything uh, that you have that? Definitely not Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is actually pretty crappy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like the art style and the whole ridiculous charging up and Super Saiyan One, Super Saiyan Two, crazy things like that. And there isn't much animation. It's just they're like this dashing everywhere, right. in a very high speed. Um, 
but I always have like a soft spot for Dragon Ball Z. I will, I, would, I just love anything Dragon Ball Z, even though it's so ridiculous and so stupid sometimes. Yeah. Um, but right now my my inspire inspiration for animation is like Spider Verse. It's mm-hmm. my my yeah, that's my favorite uh, anime movie. Uh, one of them, one of my favorites. Um, yeah. Spider Verse, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too, or mm-hmm. one and two, and the Lego movies. Those those are all my favorite anime movies. Just because of yeah. the the style of the style of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Spider Verse. I felt like there was six different styles in that movie, and it was yeah. absolutely gorgeous work. Um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, way over the top animation, noodle arms, all that really fun, fun stuff to watch. Like um, for me, I, I haven't done a whole lot of that more cartoony style work. So when I like to go watch stuff, that's actually the stuff I like to go watch because um, for me, I haven't ha- I've only done mostly realistic in my uh, in my industry professional experience. So mm. I love to watch that stuff as well. Hotel Transylvania has got a lot of that really over the top stuff. I, I I absolutely love that as well. Um, yeah. So I I I love hearing where people love to gather their information from because sometimes I forget about something like. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I haven't seen that in a really long time, and I'm, I'm actually going to uh, make a point to watch it. I own it, uh, so I'm going to make a point to watch that soon now. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, thank you for sharing that as well. Um, yeah. Unless you have anything but, uh, else, I think, uh, I think I'm think i just going to let you go from here, and I, I want to say thank you so much for taking your time to do this. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's all. Yeah, uh, one thing I want to say is um, for like for students to learn more about animation, um, other than other than the things we said about foundation, uh, is to study um, really good animations that's already done, like uh, things that are done by Blur Studios, mm-hmm. um, or animated movies like Spider Verse, and really watch like frame by frame and how how things move and how things, uh, uh, the spacing, how they how they look like doing certain things, mm-hmm. and. I spend a lot of time, I think at one point I did that every single day. I find a new animation and I study it frame by frame. And I think that really helped me like kind of uh, see animation in a different uh, different space. Like help helped me expand my animation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's the thing that I would recommend like students to, to do uh, as much yeah. as you can. Just study animations frame by frame and just look at how, uh, how they pose the things, how, how the timing works. Right. And turn off the sound. If you turn off the sound and watch the animation, you you can see the beats. You can see the the beats and the rhythm, and that really that helps you understand what timing and what good poses look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that is something I did early in my career where um, I would love watching. Uh, for me, it was actually the old uh, 2D stuff. I used to love to watch, even though I knew I was never going to do 2D art. I used to love watching it because you see those smear screens where like the entire head gets super wide and the eyes there might be like 20 eyes on one frame because yeah. they turn so fast oh man yeah. i love watching that stuff you mean like the aladdins and the snow whites yeah back then yeah Wait. the real the, the older stuff uh, jungle book is probably one of my favorites um mm. so i really love watching that old stuff and i will frame by frame that stuff because essentially what we're doing in 3d is what those guys had figured out in 2d a long time ago and watching them uh, and I, I had mentioned this in another podcast recently is watching them 
do what they did is so much different than watching what we do now because they have to, without a doubt, pay attention to every single piece of the body on every frame because they had to draw every piece of the body on every frame. So yeah. if they, let's say they were grabbing this water bottle, where they placed the thumb and the finger and the way that it moves as you're, as you're drinking and stuff, for us, we can attach it, make one pose for the hand and just rotate the wrist as we need. Whereas 2D animators, because they have to draw that finger every frame for however long the shot is, they think about it and they go, oh, well, I'm gonna make it tense up as he's bringing it up. I'm gonna make it do this, I'm gonna make it do that. So I love watching that old stuff because it makes me think about more parts of the body that I wouldn't normally think about when I'm animating something like those tips of the finger when I'm grabbing a cup because without thinking about it, I would probably do that. Put the cup in the hand and then just rotate the wrist and arm and let that yeah. let it pour out. Whereas yeah. I like to think back like, okay, well, if I was drawing this frame by frame, what might I do? Oh, well, as I do that, maybe it's I'm losing grip, so I need to change where my thumb is, or maybe I it, you can see a little bit more tension happen in my fingers as I'm grabbing it or something along those lines. So uh, yeah. that's why I love to watch the old stuff. All the hair and the fur and the cloth. Oh, that, oh my God. <laughs> oh, man, that, that, that stuff, absolutely, positively amazing to watch, the way that they did that yeah. stuff. Like Aladdin had a lot of that flowing cloth. Yeah. Just, Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. I, I can imagine trying to do that uh, myself, even in 3D today. It's just beautiful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for taking your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure our students will absolutely appreciate it. Um, and uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and uh, I will see you soon. All right. See you soon. All right, bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.